Hi, and welcome back to the Utajua Hujui podcast. Now, a quick word before we get in. Your girl, Aileen, has a little bit of a potty mouth, which means she does not mind her language and she speaks the fluent French, <laughs> um, which is all to say that I understand that some people are a little bit uncomfortable with this language. So here's just a warning for you. If, however, you are not uncomfortable and you would like to learn about the world around you and capitalism and colonialism and just like... All this fun shit with a dazzling, brilliant, and funny host, if I do say so myself. Um, keep listening. And good God, the man is literally fluffing the English language. Like the English language is about to do a porno with the fucking French language. <laughs> And welcome back to the Utajua Hujui podcast with your girl Aileen Woody Wood. And I'm coming at you live from my office's studio. You wanna know why? Because there's no fucking power at home. Like, fuck Kenya power. Why? But I suppose the fact that, like, everyone in Kenya has to deal with blackouts for the most part is like a great equalizer. Although, even in that, some people are more equal than others because some people could just afford generators. But anyway, um, before we get into just everything we're going to be talking about today, what am I drinking today? Today I am drinking green tea. It is piping hot. It is in my magic thermos, which manages to keep everything very hot for like a suspiciously long amount of time. Mm. But anyway, for some reason, my body does not like being drunk anymore. My body doesn't like drinking as much anymore but i think it's more that like my body does not like being hungover and because being drunk is how you become hungover my body just doesn't like alcohol anymore so i'm on a green tea vibe today just trying to respect my body's wishes and needs um and i'm hoping that because i'm drinking green tea i'm hoping the recording this recording session will be a lot smoother and a whole less a whole lot less clumsy for me but clearly i might not be able to speak english as well because you know trade off but you know what kind of podcast this is if you want to drink while you listen if you don't want to drink while you listen that is well and good with me i'm just very glad that you're here with me today and we are getting ready to talk about something very interesting but first sip So where was I? Yes. Ah. So what are we talking about today? Well, to understand where I'm coming from, I kind of need to read y'all a quote. Um, On the 2nd of February, 1835, Lord McKellie allegedly made a statement to the British Parliament. In it, he said, and I quote, I have traveled across the length and breadth of India, and I have not yet seen one person who is a beggar, who is a thief. Such wealth I have seen in this country, such high moral values, people of such caliber. But I do not think we would ever conquer this country unless we break the very backbone of this nation, which is a spiritual and cultural heritage. And therefore, I propose that we replace her old and ancient education system, her culture. For if the Indians think that all that is foreign and English is good and greater than their own, they will lose their self-esteem, their native culture, and they will become what we want them, a truly dominated nation 
end quote. I can kind of hear him like doing a mic drop in fucking British Parliament and the fucking vuvuzelas going off going because you know fucking racism. Um, but there is a lot to not love about this quote, like a lot to just say, like no, like particularly the whole. And I quote, we replace her old and ancient education system, end quote. And this idea that education is a vessel for domination. And in many ways, I agree. Education is nothing more than training, like the same way you would train an animal. And I phrase it in this way because the colonialists truly thought of education, or rather education for people like me, in this way. I know We all think that education is good because it is supposed to expose us to new ideas, which we will then use to build up our identities and figure out how we will interact with and engage with the world. And that's all great. But that's not what really education is. And like, I want to believe that on some intrinsic level, we all feel this because I definitely remember going to school as a, I guess, a kid, a rather person who was younger than 18 and feeling that there was something wrong with the way in which I was being taught. It, 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 It just felt a little bit off almost um and if we take a look at not just what we learn but how we learn it it becomes clear that education prepares us not to be the truest and bestest versions of ourselves but rather to participate in an economic and social system that is the state that demands blind obedience and participation it's why we get exams when exams only test our memorization skills, not our comprehension and sorry, not our comprehension and our capacity to apply what we have learned to global problems. It's why when I learned African history, we did not spend time discussing each culture in turn, but instead focused on knowledge accumulation. It's why we don't emphasize the links between subjects or why the US is losing its fucking shit over critical race theory. Like what the Oh, okay, I'm going to be doing a lot more of that in this episode. Just bear with me. I'm really kind of passionate about education and ooh, just bear with me. Education is as much about us as it is about society it benefits. To quote Franz Fanon, and I quote, to educate the masses politically is to make them the totality of the nation. Let me do that again. To quote Franz Fanon, and I quote, to educate the masses politically is to make the totality of the nation a reality to each citizen. It is to make the history of the nation part of the personal experience of its citizens. Therefore, it makes sense that education would become another means of domination for the colonizers, right? I mean, with education, they could rewrite our values to benefit them and to reflect theirs. With education, they could rewrite our histories to benefit them and place them at the center of our own fucking history. (sighs) History. (laughs) With education, they could override our minds to benefit them. With education, we we would cease being African. But we could never be English or French or Portuguese or Spanish or American or Dutch or whatever either. We were stuck in this limbo of definitely some of both, but definitely not neither. Thus, education became another vessel of colonialism. They had physically colonized our land and now they would and did colonize our minds. 
Mugiwa Thiongo explains it best in The Decolonization of the Mind, where he says, and I quote, imperialism continues to control the economy, politics, and cultures of Africa, but on the other and pitted against it are the ceaseless struggles of African people to liberate their economy, politics, and culture from that of Euro-American-based stranglehold to usher a new era of true communal self-regulation and self-determination. It is an ever-continuing struggle to seize back their creative initiative in history through a real controls of all the means of communal self-definition in time and space. And the reason why I'm stressing the word all is because what Gugi Wationgo is talking about there is this acceptance and daily use of your mother tongue and just in and just native or indigenous African languages. Because one of the big things education did, or rather the colonial education system did, was emphasize the need of learning English above the need of learning any other African language. It's why, for example, like a lot of parents, and I understand this, I do, a lot of parents may focus on their kids being able to speak English first, and then they will focus on like Kikuyu or Luyo or Luo or Kisi or something like that, you know? Um, but maybe I'm just speaking from my own family. Like, I don't know. I'm not really... No judgment. Um, and the trippy thing about all of this is that Africans are not the only ones impacted by this form of education. Even the colonizers themselves are learning a skewed version of history that places not only their experience at the center of global history, but frames everything they did as ultimately good. And this belief is so ingrained in their education system that calls to root out this belief and challenge it are met as existential threats. Even in Kenya, privileges even Kenya privileges the history of the dominant group at the expense of all others. In essence, once someone figured out the power of education and put that power out there, states have used it ever since to colonize their own citizens, or rather control or manipulate or what have you. And that is what I want to talk about today. So today we will answer three questions. First, what is the purpose of education in general? Second, what is the purpose of colonial education specifically? And finally, how have these conflicting purposes influenced education policy in Kenya? We will get started, but first, a water break. Okay, and we are back. We are hydrated, vitamin the fuck up, and we are ready to answer the first question. What is the purpose of education in general? So to my mind, education should be for the benefit of the child first and not for the benefit of the state. Well, what does this mean? It maybe means abandoning homework because researchers have found that it has little to no effect on test scores in elementary school and a marginal positive effect in later grades. Maybe it means it is changing the way in which we teach, moving away from like a sermon or a lecture and towards more of a discussion type practice. Maybe it means testing kids a little less or testing kids in different ways. But it definitely means putting the student and their interests first. It means recognizing that kids will cease to be kids with time and giving them the tools that they need to be adults which means giving them the tools they need not just to blindly follow but to decide for themselves like critical thinking fucking skills and more and more i'm not seeing this in our education system at least not in public schools but it's better than it was i assume um instead we have an education system designed to perpetuate privilege highlight inequalities and above all breed complacent thinking unthinking people people who lack the critical thinking digital literacy and media literacy skills to make the right decisions for them and i think it's a bit weird for even me to be saying it to saying this because like i'm kind of speaking atop an ivory tower given my 
background within this within the Kenyan context. Um, but sometimes I do feel, especially like when we think and talk about politics in this nation, um, you kind of have two parallel parallel discussions going on. You kind of have the on the ground discussion in which there is a blind loyalty, but it, but it does make sense why they follow different people. Um, but then you have on the other side, people of a privileged class who are not only unpacking the ways in which um, the lower classes discuss politics, but in that discussion are betraying their own privileges and their own biases. And so I don't know, like even like going on that and saying all this seems a bit weird considering that it's coming from my fucking mouth. But I can say just speaking from my experience, I didn't learn critical thinking skills. I really wasn't encouraged to develop them until I went to university. And I'm very, very fortunate that my university gave me that space and 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 facilitated that experience and encouraged those skills in me because I know for a lot of students like that might not always be the experience that they get to have. Um, but I think that Martin Luther King Jr. says it best. In 1947, writing in the campus newspaper for a particular university whose name escapes me right now, the, Ma- the, Ma- the Maroon Tigers name of the paper, King argues that education has both a utilitarian and a moral function. And I quote, Most of the brethren think that education should equip them with the proper instruments of exploitation so that they can forever trample over the masses. Still others think that education should furnish them with noble ends rather than a means to an end. It seems to me that education has a twofold function to perform in the life of man and in society. The one is utility and the other is culture. Education must enable a man to become more efficient to achieve with increasing facility the legitimate goals of his life. And if you think about the current state of our fucking late stage capitalism, post-democracy, just, oh my God, ulcer inducing reality. You do kind of feel that our education system has in a way failed us because Okay, let's go back to that last line of the MLK MLK quote in which he says, education must enable a man to become more efficient to achieve with increasing facility the legitimate goals of his life, end quote. And I do not think our education system has equipped us to achieve with increasing facility the legitimate goals of our life. Because I don't think that a majority of our goals are kind of like wrapped up in capitalism and just wanting to be the richest and wanting to be the best and wanting to i don't know be super productive i think those are all just necessities those desires and those goals are all just like necessary parts of capitalism i would like to believe that many people myself included have more personal more deep goals that really won't be realized um until you know those kind of like immediate survival goals of like getting money to survive are realized um Anyway, there's more of the actual quote that I just, I got so passionate about the first half that I forgot there's more. So hang on, hang on. Let me, let me, let me, let me finish this quote. Okay. Um, I go back into the quote and I quote, education must also train one for quick, resolute and effective thinking. To think incisively and to think for oneself is very difficult. We must remember that intelligence is not enough. Intelligence plus character That is the goal of true education. The complete education gives one not only power of concentration, but worthy objectives upon which to concentrate. And I fear we have emphasized the intelligence or knowledge acquisition aspects of education over teaching kids how to ask questions and when to ask questions. My bad again. 
Um, so the M1K quote finished at, um, and I quote, we, the complete education gives one not only power of concentration, but worthy objectives upon which to concentrate. And I just fucking love that because if you were to look at various education systems around the world, and if you look at the kind of far right or far left even um, movements that dom- that like are part of those, those that political system, you can kind of chalk those systems up perhaps to a failure in education. I don't know, just speculating. Here's what I think. I fear that we have emphasized the intelligence or knowledge acquisition aspects of education over teaching kids how to ask questions and when to ask questions and what questions to ask. But you better believe that colonial education was not designed to do any of this. Which takes us to our second question. What was the purpose of colonial education? But before I answer this question, let me speak on the state of pre-colonial education broadly like i cannot state i cannot stress how broadly i am speaking about the state of pre-colonial african education the simple fact that like africa is not a monolith africa is not a country you fucking visit it's like me saying i'm gonna europe when somebody asks what country did you visit europe no find a country for fuck's sake um but in this instance i don't have the time i rather didn't have the time to do in-depth research into like several cultures so i found it easier to paint a very broad picture and provide this caveat to you my very intelligent audience so that you will understand where i'm coming from so education is important to every society and i don't mean formal education i mean education in its broadest construction training to make you useful to society and train you up in society and thus pre-colonial african societies had systems of education that achieved just this quoting from the phenomenal almost radicalizing how europe underdeveloped africa by walter rodney and i quote indeed the most crucial aspect of pre-colonial african education was its relevance to africans in sharp contrast with what was later introduced the following features of indigenous african education can be considered outstanding its close links with social life both in a material and spiritual sense its collective nature its many-sidedness and its progressive development in conformity with the successive stages of physical, emotional, and mental development of the child, end quote. I like the emphasis on noting and accounting for the emotional development of a child, an aspect that I often felt was absent from education as we see it today. Let me take a sip. Okay, and we're back. Another often overlooked aspect of pre-colonial African education was its emphasis on sex ed. While sex was not discussed in public, at least it was discussed. At least it was recognized as an important part of development as opposed to what we currently have around the world in general. A situation where parents don't want to teach kids about sex and expect schools to do it, but schools not wanting to step on the toes of a parent does a piss poor job of it. Like I did not learn about consent in my sex ed. I did not learn that as a woman I have agency in my own pleasure. I only learned the mechanics of it. I did not learn the obvious that sex is supposed to be fun and it can be. Um but in pre-colonial African societies, such lessons were taught. Like in Kikuyu culture, the youth went through training of the control of sexual energy by a method referred to as, and I swear to God, forgive me, my Kikuyu is a trend, oh, just horrific, it, um, goiko, potentially, N-G-U-I-K-O, a method of intimate contact between a woman and a man that did not involve penetration. Coaching from Jomo Kenyatta, yes, 
the nation of Kenya's first president. And I quote, The boy removes all his clothing. The girl removes her upper garment, Nguo Ya Ngoro, and retains her skirt, Modoro, and her soft leather apron, Wengo which she pulls back between her legs from behind and fastened to the waist, thus keeping the wango in a position and forming an effective protection of her private parts. In this position, the lovers lie together facing each other with their legs interwoven to prevent any movement of their hips. They then begin to fondle each other's, rubbing their breasts together, while at the same time they engage in love-making conversation until they gradually fall asleep." End quote. And they would do many sessions of this kind of sexual education, which remembering what it was like being a teenager, I'm just not sure I would love. Um, I just think that the entire time I'm like, this is making me very uncomfortable. Um, But then again, I'm coming at it from like a 21st century mindset. So, mm. but I think I would appreciate it as in a child later on, just as just the fact that I had a safe space in which I could discover what I liked and did not like and be comfortable viewing myself as a sexual being, which is something I'm still struggling struggling with thanks to years of christian guilt but still this kind of education is dramatically different from what education is now for no other reason than that education was a response to society not an input of the economy and this was one of the principles behind colonial education so oh okay There are two reasons why colonial education was implemented the way that it was, why the curriculum was the way that it was. The first is economic exploitation. Education was seen as a means to facilitate economic exploitation. And the second was cultural domination. Education was seen as a way of going, I am better than you, to like the indigenous Africans, who the most part were just like, okay. Um, So the second reason was cultural domination, as I have said, and this is what we will start with. Let's turn back to that guy from the beginning, Lord Macaulay. So remember that whole long thing that I read? So remember, it turns out that uh, he didn't actually say it. Oops. On the 2nd of February, he wasn't even in the UK. He was in India. And there, he played a minor role in the introduction of English and Western concepts to education in India. And by introduction, I mean replacement. The man straight up just replaced Indian culture and like Indian language and just tried to just try to think that nobody would fucking notice uh. <laughs> and on the 2nd of february he gave another speech that explained why not only why he believed indian education should be changed but also why it was pre- presently insufficient and there he was still racist as all hell but let me take a sip okay In a speech entitled Minute on Indian Education, Macaulay not only spoke to his beliefs, but the beliefs of the entire British Empire. And let me tell you, let me, you heard me sing a couple of woo-sahs at the very beginning of this episode. Um, And just just know it's just going to continue. Because the last time I did so many woo-sahs, I was reading a paper where somebody was like defending colonialism. And it just, it took me so long to get through that paper because it made me so viscerally angry which meant i couldn't engage with it as like an ob- fuck objectivity i couldn't engage with it like an with an act with i <clears throat> i couldn't engage with it like an academic i kind of it was so frustrating um fuck all right cool um ah, but first before we get into the things that are going to make me infuriate and make me sputter like i just did um it's time for a word from our sponsors yeah we have a sponsor 
are and not the kind you're thinking of ladies and gentlemen um so here's that message have you ever wanted children in this economy well what if i told you that there was another way to have something like a child without breaking the bank and it wouldn't be fur all over your sofa and no again i am not talking about a pet i'm talking about machine learning in a nutshell, machine learning is the use and development of computer systems that are able to learn and adapt without following explicit instructions. By using algorithms and statistical models to analyze and draw interferences from patterns in data. Think of it like taking a computer to school instead of just telling it what to do. And now you can learn how to create these algorithms with a Dataverse machine learning course. Um, classes begun on 7th Feb, but don't worry, there are a limited number of spaces available just for you. Classes will be practical and teach you not only what machine learning is, but how it works and how it can work for you. Classes will be online two hours a day from Monday to Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. Um, you can find all the details for this Dataverse machine learning course in the description of this episode. Now back to the show. Okay, so where was I? Aha, yes. The minute on Indian education. In it, Lord Macaulay said that, and I quote, the intrinsic superiority of the Western literature is indeed fully admitted by those members of the committee who support the Oriental plan of education. He believed that the colonial subject must be taught some foreign language, specifically English, because it, and I quote, stands preeminent even among the languages of the West. It abounds works of imagination not inferior to the noblest which Greece has bequeathed us, with models of every species of eloquence, with historical composition, which considered merely as narratives have seldom been surpassed, and which considered as vehicles of ethical and political instruction have never been equaled, with just and lively representations of English life and human nature, end quote. And good God, the man is literally fluffing the English language. Like the English language is about to do a porno with the fucking French language. I personally find English quite lacking and lacks the musicality of Kikuyu and Swahili to my ears and kind of lacks the imagination as well. Like it lacks the succinctness of German, which has words like Schadenfreude, sorry, Schadenfreude and back, back for Feichengift, backs for Feichengift. <laughs> Basically, it means um, a face in need of a slab or even Russian, which has compound and separate words for light and dark blue. English also lacks a good gender-neutral singular third-person pronoun, but when you've grown up your entire life being spoon-fed the glory of the British fucking empire and just unbridled, uncritical patriotism, those are the kind of thoughts that you end up having. Um, Macaulay justifies his love of the English language by saying, whoever knows that language has ready access to all the vast intellectual wealth which all the wisest nations of the earth have created and hoarded in the course of nine generations 90 generations is about uh 90 times 4 is 360 3600 years um which would have been in the like 1500s so i don't know what he's saying about the plantagenets but that's you know between him and his maker um and this is why and i quote the english tongue is that which would be the most useful to their native subjects end quote 
This is one of the reasons why British in particular insisted upon colonial education. Put simply, English rules and everything else rules. So by teaching the savages the Queen's English, they thought they would be doing us a great service. To this end, a notable British geographer, James McQueen, arrogantly proclaims, and I quote, If we really wish to do good in Africa, we must teach her the savage we must teach her savage sons that white men are their superiors. And thus, as Franz Fanon puts it, and I quote, In the colonial context, the colonizer does not stop his work of breaking in the colonized until the latter admits loudly and clearly that supremacy of white values. End quote. This is why colonial education taught colonial subjects about the River Thames, snow, and yellow cabs, even though, you know, none of those things were around in Africa. Like, none of them? Why... Why did you find it so hard to teach my ancestors about the things next door and like why rain happens and why water flows the way that it does? Instead, no, you had to teach us that of the river fucking Thames and like snow and the fucking Everest. Like, bitch, teach us about Mount Kenya and like Victoria. Like, why was it so hard? <laughs> why? So what were the consequences of such imposed cultural superiority? Mungi Wathiongo, a citizen of the once colonized Kenya, in his book Decolonizing the Mind, displays his anger toward the isolationist feelings colonial, colonial education caused. He writes, and I quote, The process annihilates people's belief in their names, in their languages, in their environment, in their heritage of struggle, in their unity, in their capacities, and ultimately in themselves. It makes them see their past as one of wasteland, of non-achievement, and it makes them want to distance themselves from that wasteland. It makes them want to identify with that which is furthest removed from themselves. And that actually reminds me of Toni Morrison's Bluest Eyes, specifically reminds me of Pekla. Um, and I find it really interesting that you, you do have the replication of like colonial education orders and colonial education principles and systems and pedagogies replicated in 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 the americas specifically in the usa um even to this day um anyway uh, let me take a sip as france fanon asserts colonialism is not satisfied merely with holding a people in its grip and emptying the native's brain of all form and content by a kind perverted logic it turns to the past of the oppressed people and distorts, disfigures, and destroys it. This work of devaluing pre-colonial history takes on a dialectical significance today. End quote. Put simply, education rewrote the history and culture of Africa, placing us as secondary characters in our own narratives, forcing us to take the role of victims. And in its place, the colonizer created new values for the African. Education, which was implemented by the colonizers, is important in facilitating the assimilation process. This is why, according to Walter Rodney, who reflects the accounts from one principal education officer in Tanganyika in 1949, I'm sorry, says, and I quote, outlined that the Africans of that colony should be bombarded in primary school with propaganda about the British royal family. The theme of the British king as a father should be stressed throughout the syllabus and mentioned in every lesson, end quote. 
He further urged that African children should be shown numerous pictures of the English princesses and their ponies at Sandringham and Windsor fucking castle. To wit, I must ask, huh? What use do I have for a princess in a fucking castle? But it gets worse. Like African pupils were led to believe that it was Europeans who discovered Mount Kenya, Lake Victoria, and many more like it, which quite frankly is bullshit. Europeans did not discover it. Y'all just named it. Y'all just put it to fucking paper. You did not discover it. It's like me discovering your name by writing it down on a piece of fucking paper. Good God. But education was also designed to rewrite our behavior and mindset for economic exploitation. According to Walter Rodney, and I quote, the main purpose of the colonial school system was to train Africans to help man the local administration at the lowest ranks and to staff the private capitalist firms owned by Europeans, end quote. This meant that education tended to focus on the acquisition of practical skills like gardening, blacksmithing, craftsmanship, or home economics in addition to extolling the superiority of the British Empire. From this select class, few Africans were selected to get further education in government studies, teaching, nursing, administrative services, etc. In the eyes of the Europeans, educating the majority with the kind of education we have now would do more harm than good. Quoting from Rodney once more, and I quote, Too much learning would have been both superfluous and dangerous for clerks and messengers. Therefore, secondary education was rare, and other forms of higher education were virtually non-existent throughout most of the colonial epoch, end quote. In fact, education beyond primary school wasn't just discouraged through lack of access, it was actively discouraged by the colonial government. For example, in the 1960s, when Akinamboya set up the Kennedy LFC, you know the program to send promising young Kenyans to be educated in the US. I think Wangari Madai was a part of that program. I think Saitoti was part of it. Like a lot of famous Kenyan civil servants and Kenyan first went to get their undergrad and maybe their own masters for in the US. Um, and the British government inundated African Kenyans with propaganda. They criticized the quality of the, of the education across the pond in an effort to dissuade successful applicants from leaving. They also accused the American government in approving the visa applications of Kenyan students of meddling in colonial affairs, which is just some bullshit paternalistic fucking logic, like fuck off. And if you think that's bad, it was worse for the DRC, the Democratic Republic of Congo. Now, in my first episode of this podcast was getting into how King Leopold II just fucked the Congo without lube. Like, he just went in and just had his way with the country he had absolutely no business owning personally, like him, himself, and himself. Like, no. And we discussed a little bit about what the effects of those were, like immediate effects. But now, almost a hundred years after Leopold rocked through the 1860s, when Congo won its independence in the 1960s, there were only 16 university graduates. Not 16 university graduates in cabinet or government or civil service, but 16 total out of a population of over 13 million. What the fuck do you call that? And I remember learning this in high school, and I found this particular fact important. Possible because I could not understand how you could let this happen, or rather, how you could create deliberately create an entire system crafted to keep an entire like millions of people from getting an education. Did you not think that once they learned how to read, they would go looking for more complex materials? Like, I- anyway. 
I also struggled to grasp how shitty people can be if your misery is enriching their comfort. But also, I understood how this did happen in a country that had lost almost half of its population in the first 20 years of colonialism. So let me break down Belgian colonial policy real quick, and I quote, The African native was to be gradually civilized. To give him secondary education was like asking a young child to chew meat when he should be eating porridge. Good God. Furthermore, the Belgians were so interested in the welfare of the African masses that they urged that no highly educated African would be able to serve his own people. Consequently, it was only in 1948, 12 years before independence, that a Belgian commission recommended the establishment of secondary schools for Africans in the the colonies, end quote. That's from Walter Rodney. In essence, these education systems were not, and I quote once more, designed to give young people confidence and pride as members of African societies, but instead they were ones that sought to instill a sense of deference and dependence towards all that was European and capitalist. And the issue of dependence is especially pertinent because if the Africans could not learn how to govern, then they could not govern themselves. If they could not learn the key skills of nation building, then European domination could continue. And we actually ended up having this really interesting conversation with our boss yesterday, yesterday like afternoon, about like if he were to give us 10 million, 10 million shillings each, what is the first thing he would we would each do with it? And like a lot of us you know, wanted to open up businesses, um, buy land, invest in like financial assets, etc. But after we gave all our suggestions, he asked, okay, I know a lot of you want to do real estate. Why? Why why do you want to do real estate? And we had like a really critical, really critical discussion on just how important land is or have we just taken it as a fact that land is, is, is important? Are we trying to heal our colonial trauma by trying to get the land that was denied to our people? Um, which is a very interesting point. Um, and yet to be educated, even under a colonial system, was better than not being educated. Rodney says it best, and, and he says, and I quote, but in the colonial period, the paradox was that whoever had an opportunity to be educationally misguided could count himself lucky, because that misguidance was a means of personal advancement within the structure created by European capitalists in and for Africa. The colonialists made it clear that education at any level was designed to civilize the African native. And of course, only a civilized native could hope to gain worthwhile employment and recognition from the colonialists. I suppose that was who my, my grandfather was because he, uh, the t- like near independence, like he was a teacher, so was my grandma. So I think they were quote unquote civilized natives, which, uh, you know, fuck colonialism. Um, Thus, the purpose of colonial education was to override indigenous educational practices, reinforce the superiority of Western values, and reorient African behavior for economic exploitation. And this brings us to the final question we will consider. How did colonial education policies in the past influence Kenya's education policy today? And the answer is almost too simple to mention. You see it in how we think and talk about 
education. When the first missionary school was set up in Kenya in the late 19th century, early British policies and education in East Africa and elsewhere in Africa were inspired by racial debate concerning the educatability of Africans. The debate concentrated on the study of cranial capacity of Africans or the bullshit science of phrenology. The study concluded that Africans were not educable. Thus, Africans were to be educated for labor purposes, as I have already noted. And you see this drive in the way we talk about our education today. Questions on whether or not certain students can be educated still abound in our discourse on education. And changes to the national public curriculum were motivated by a desire to prepare our kids to participate in our economy, i.e. economic exploitation. Very rarely do we first speak of the psycho-emotional or psychosocial development of the child. I'm wanting to safeguard that. Equally, the kind of critical thinking necessary to encourage social development was discouraged because education then as now is a vector for radical politics. It's just true. Um, And I mean radical in the sense of like obvious difference and not with reference to any political theory on the left-right axis. Because of this, industrial vocational education was seen as the best for Africans in Kenya. Vocational education would also preoccupy the Africans and there would be no opposition to European policies. Equally, in the present day, I don't see a dearth of critical thinking as much as I do a lack of spaces in which to apply these insights. I think that's a better way of putting it. Yeah, like I, it's not necessarily that we lack critical thinking skills in and of itself. It's that if you have those skills, where do you apply those insights? How can you apply those insights? Um, as Kenya transitioned into an independent state, we as Kenyans were responsible for our own education policy. And this was in like 1963. At independence in Kenya, the education system inherited from the Europeans was very discriminatory. It favored Europeans and Indians. Mm-hmm. For example, the, um, despite paying six times as much in taxes, the amount expended on education for African Kenyans was close to 10 times less that of their European counterparts. And in 1960, more than 11,000 European children were attending school in Africa, and of those, 3,000 were receiving secondary education. Meanwhile, the same could not be said of indigenous African Kenyans. To Africans, education was geared towards production of clerical officers and craftsmen. During the post-independent Kenya, therefore, emphasis was placed on quality improvement um, and basically making sure that the education that the next generation would get would benefit and contribute to Kenya's development. In the first two decades of independence, according to Ishawini, curriculum reforms played a pivotal role in directing the expected quality of education in Kenya. Major major changes introduced in the curriculum included an emphasis on mathematics, agricultural, industrial, and science education. But very rarely did these changes speak of preparing the child to be the best versions of themselves as they understood it. But I do think that the problem is far worse in, in international schools because those schools are in the inside facing out, if that makes sense. And like within them, they also contain like an inherent superiority complex. And I say this as an alumnus of an international school. Like we never learned about Kenya. We learned about our neighbors and the West. Even, even when we learned about World War One or Two or the Cold War, we never brought it home. Like it wasn't until I was walking around Nairobi, I can't remember the name of the road, but you know where... <laughs> You know what um, 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 Nyayo House is, like where Huduma Center is, like that road um, that I saw the memorial, the monument to like what to like our soldiers. And I was also on the diagram and I saw another monument there as well. 
And that's when, like, I realized that, oh, some of our men, some of our, like, African men went out there to fight, and we don't recognize them, and that's kind of shitty. And and I'm not quite sure if this was a curriculum choice from the cur- curriculum providers, which is the International Baccalaureate, or the school's choice from the curriculum deliverers. Although CBC, the competency-based curriculum, which is the new iteration of Kenya's public school curriculum, although CBC will focus on more individual student development and a focus on the arts, which I think is vital in, ed- in education, it's still, in my opinion, too soon to tell what it'll, what its effects will be. What is clear is that right now it may be having the opposite effect sometimes, as parents have now been folded into the education process with little to no experience in how to educate their child, how to spot and nurture talent, and basically just this growing resentment of just how much work they need to do because they're not really being supported at work either like your boss isn't going to let you leave at four because you need to get home and help your kid with their homework they're going to say figure it out um yeah and like even as parents and teachers themselves complain i i also worry that these negative attitudes may taint the good work that cbc is trying to do so in the end i would like to leave you with this quote about the power of education something that might i hope make you more intentional about the education you seek in your own lives it comes from john w gardner the secretary of health and education and welfare welfare under president lyndon b johnson he says and i quote much education today is monumentally ineffective all too often we are giving young people cut flowers when we should be teaching them how to grow their own plants. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next time. Bye! much for listening to the Utajua Hujui podcast with your girl Aileen. I have been so blessed to have you in our space. Yes, it is our space today. Thank you so much for listening to me and giving me your time of day. I truly appreciate it. If you want to reach out to me, please feel free to do so. My inbox is looking a little lonely. You can reach out to me on Instagram at UTA. J-U-A-H-U-J-U-I dot P-O-D. That's at Utajua Hujui Pod on Instagram. Reach out. Let me know what you liked about my episodes, what you think I should improve on. Perhaps suggest new topics or new directions I should explore. Either way, I would be so glad to continue this conversation with you on that medium. And otherwise, have a fantastic time. And I really do want the best for you. One last word from our sponsor. Please do not forget to sign up for machine learning courses. You can find the link to do so in the description box. I would truly appreciate it. And you'd be able to create your own matrix. Maybe that's not a good thing. Eh, You'll figure it out. Bye.